to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Welcome back. This is Daria Brown, and I'm back this week with a favorite on the podcast, Dr. Gil Tippy. We've known him through the many hats that he's worn over the years. He is one of the original founders of the Rebecca School in Manhattan and Shrub Oak Academy in upstate New York. He is in private practice now in California. He is working on Dirty Hands Developmental Alliance. He consults all over the world with people about floor time. He worked with Dr. Greenspan um, up until his passing. So he is a, a floor time original. Welcome back, Dr. Tippy. Oh, I am a floor time original. That's <laughs> truer words were never spoken. Um, yeah, Dr. Greenspan, I, I was lucky. I got to spend some very tough case conference time with Dr. Greenspan and uh, those people who were part of those original case conferences will tell you how incredibly difficult that was. He was a demanding, demanding guy. And sometimes those case conferences were three and a half hours long uh, just presenting. So that's true. But then also got to spend some time with him uh, just supervising directly uh, the work that I was doing. And I was lucky. It was five years of good, solid relationship with Dr. Greenspan. But um, as difficult as that time was, it does make me um, one of the true believers in floor time and one of the people who sort of carries the flag proudly. So I'm a floor timer everywhere I go all the time. It doesn't matter really what I do. So yeah, that's all true. Um, and, and, and here I am in California. And you're the co-author of Respecting Autism. So there was the uh, original, where is it, Bible of floor time, engaging autism that Dr. Greenspan Weeder wrote. And then you co-wrote Respecting Autism, which I have, but not in front of me. And I always thought that I'm going to end up writing a book called Affecting Autism. But we'll see oh, if that happens. <laughs> we'll see if that happens yeah. or not. <laughs> well, the original title of that book, uh, Respecting Autism, uh, was something about 50 words long. I forget what it was. And Dr. Greenspan was really insisting upon it. Um, we finished the book together. Um, he got a chance to go through, make his corrections, do all of that stuff. And then he passed away. Um, so we changed the name to Respecting Autism, um, fortunately, <laughs> because as brilliant a man as Dr. Greenspan was, he was terrible with names of things. And I've always said that the developmental individual difference relationship based model was such a clumsy, difficult uh, name for things. And that if he had, had someone who was really good at acronyms, um, it might have made a real difference. But that was Dr. Greenspan, you know, he was very determined in the things that he believed and thought. And that's what made it possible for this intervention to actually live and continue because the climate was not always so receptive to a developmental model in those years when he was really developing the model. So his dogmatism was really useful, but not great at naming things. And I mean, everybody that's worked with him is so affected by this model and DIR becomes a way of life for people. What we're talking about today is something really interesting in the DIR model, because I had heard, I had seen you show a video of working with a mother and a teenager and the teenager maybe sort of wasn't interested and 
looked like he might be ignoring things. And you made a point in the course you were teaching that sometimes with with older children, in this case, adolescent, who are in the higher developmental capacities, you may be able to get at engagement, which is the second functional emotional developmental capacity by coming in at a higher capacity, whether it's five, six, seven, eight. And that sort of threw me for a loop because like everybody I've spoken to, you can learn floor time for years and years and years, and you're still learning 20 years in or whatever it is. In my case, eight years in, still learning every week with every podcast. So that was something that was interesting to me. And I really wanted to do a podcast about it because we had done a podcast a few years back now called moving up and down the developmental ladder. And I think a lot of people, especially when they're first learning floor time, maybe going through the ICDL classes, uh, the interdisciplinary council on development and learning the home of DIR floor time training. We talk about the first capacity so important. The child needs to be regulated and to be able to share attention before you can get to engagement and get those back and forth circles of communication at the third level and get to shared problem solving at the fourth capacity and into emotional and logical thinking, et cetera, et cetera. So we sort of think about it as this ladder going up along and then they might get dysregulated and you go back and you work back up the ladder. So to hear you say, come in up here to get the lower capacities really threw me for a loop. And I thought that'd be a great topic to talk about today because a lot of people listening work with older children and or have older children as a parent who are just coming into floor time. Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about that presentation that I did. I was showing a video, it's an older kid, it was the first meeting. Um, actually, I was showing it during the um, FEAS class that I teach through the Interdisciplinary Council. And, um, and let's just say what the FEAS is. The Functional Emotional Assessment Scale um, is a test that I use and that is widely used now in the developmental world, in our world, to assess where it is that we want to support this dyad or this family in their work with um, their loved ones. So whether it's a child or an adult. And I show videos of a young child and then um, show some videos of older children. And one of the things that you said earlier, Daria, is that um, we really think about the lower developmental capacities with younger kids all the time. So we think about getting a, a, an infant or a toddler or a young child um, calm and available and engaged. And we think about younger children opening and closing simple circles. And um, we, in this world, this floor time world, think it doesn't matter how old you are, those capacities are what you have to work at if the child or the adult doesn't have those capacities. And so, what looks so um, childlike, getting down on the floor, playing with toys, typical toys that you would see in a therapist's office, playing with them, 
um, doesn't necessarily translate for older kids and so or adults. So if you have a 50 year old in your office, it's not likely, although it is possible still, I don't mean to say it's impossible, but it's unlikely that you're going to get down on the floor and push a car around or play trains or, you know, talk about a school bus or something. What you're going to have to do is think one of the principles of DIR floor time, maybe the central tenant of, uh, tenant of uh, floor time is following a person's lead, which gets interpreted badly very often. So what it really means is I, as the person who's attempting to support, have to figure out what is the person in front of me, the person who I'm trying to support, what are they interested in? What is it that they are attempting to do? What is their um, interest at this moment? And then I'm going to use that to hang my developmental model on in my head. And I'm going to use their interest to move up the developmental ladder. So when I showed this video of this older kid, this older kid shows up in my office for the first visit with his, his very calm and kind mom, and they are reading comic books, but they are not relating whatsoever. They're really challenged, they're really struggling. And this kid clearly likes graphic comics, graphic books. He likes things with a lot of pictures, a lot of action. He's a DC guy, uh, so he likes the DC superheroes. Um, and he and his mom have very little interaction. He's actually stonewalling her and not letting her in at all. And so he's really functioning in those moments at levels where he's not particularly engaged. It's not clear to me that he's particularly regulated. Um, he's really not opening and closing circles in any way that's particularly useful um, or continuous, certainly. So he's really struggling and mom's really struggling. So I was challenged because this is an older guy. I'm not gonna get down on the floor and play with toys. I'm not gonna be you know, playfully obstructing him. I'm not going to be you know, blocking him from getting somewhere so that he has to pay attention to me. I'm not going to be doing any of that. So we had to come in at a level of his interest. And what his interest was, was those, those, uh, those characters, the plots of the books. It doesn't mean that he's always functioning at a very high developmental capacity. It doesn't mean that he's always functioning abstractly that he's always thinking symbolically, that he's able to build logical bridges at all times. It doesn't mean that at all. But he had interests that could be used at those higher developmental capacities. And so um, that's, I think, sorry, what you reacted to. So what I did was I listened very closely to what was going on, and not much was going on. And occasionally, go ahead, you want to ask questions, go ahead. Nor are many of us ever always at those higher capacities. Oh, yeah. I just totally wanted to true, add that. Right? 
Yeah, and um, the problem was that he had the diagnosis from early on as a kid of uh, autism. And um, he had always been receiving services for those things. So here's a, a, a 14 year old who's always had autism. Uh, and so it has always been presumed that he's going to function at a lower developmental capacity. I think there's a prejudice in the way school systems handle that. So here was this kid. And what I heard was he said something about the notion that there was a human being, uh, Lois Lane, if you don't know who Lois Lane is, she's a reporter at the Daily Planet, where Clark Kent, who is secretly Superman, also works as a reporter. Lois Lane is a human being. Uh, Superman is an alien raised by human beings. And so um, he said something that he thought was interesting. He thought it was really interesting that Lois Lane and Superman uh, were interested in each other, had a relationship. And when I heard that, I realized here is a lever for me that the child is interested in that I can use to begin to open and close circles that I can begin to get engaged with. He wasn't engaged. So I could use this kind of interesting thought that may be a higher developmental capacity, right? Maybe he was letting me in a little bit in on this, although he couldn't have told you why he thought it was interesting, by the way. He didn't have a great reason for why it was interesting, but he was interested. So like a little doorway into maybe a little abstract thinking, maybe a little symbolic thinking. And I used that to get him to open and close circles with me. And then uh, as we opened and closed circles, of course, the doors began opening. He began moving up higher developmentally. Um, and by the end of it, his thought and his discussion with me was much more abstract. He was beginning to think about complications. We did some role playing where, uh, you know, he had to pretend to be the next door neighbor for uh, Superman. And I pretended to be both the government and and so we go back and forth, and slowly you begin to see that engagement, a tremendous engagement, which came from his interest, which came from also having higher level thinking and being supported in that higher level thinking. So I think the real story here is in order to get engagement, you don't always have to be doing some of the tricky things that people do to get engagement at lower when when they're with younger kids when you're with older kids who have larger life experiences and who have other things or adults who have larger life experiences and have other things for time and the assessment of where a person is have to include some of the maturational things and some of the developmental things you know one of the things it's interesting daria that one of the things that when I have been part of the group that ran schools, one of the things that parents of older students always say and are interested in is they don't want their students to be doing the same things that elementary students are doing, even though the developmental capacities are the same. And so I think that's a little bit of what we were getting at in that functional emotional assessment scale course. 
One of the things that I have talked about, and I think it's taught in, uh, I'm not sure if it's a 201 course or a 202 course, and maybe you'll explain what those courses are toward the end here, uh, for the uh, ICDL. But I think one of my lectures gets used, and it's about peekaboo, and about the differences for playing peekaboo with a little child and playing peekaboo with an adult. Um, and it is possible to get at the same developmental capacity, but to make the games be adult games and be adult interests and still be getting at this opening, closing circles and, you know, kind of surprise and the hiding and the anticipation that comes with peekaboo. So I think uh, it is possible to work at early developmental capacities and get them cooking pretty pretty well with people who have larger life experiences and who are older and have different maturational variables. This episode of Affect Autism was brought to you by affectautism.com. This is an independent endeavor on my part. While I am the parent advocate at ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, and facilitate their weekly online parent support drop-ins, Affect Autism is a project on my own without any sponsorship. Please consider supporting the podcast and the website for as little as $5 US a month to receive extra bonuses, including floor time videos access, your questions answered on upcoming podcasts, my weekly insights video with my takeaways from each podcast, and more. You can become a member or a star member of Affect Autism at patreon.com slash affectautism. And a big shout out and thank you to all of the members supporting my efforts. I really appreciate it. And I hope you'll continue to give me great suggestions and things that you want to learn more about. So I know that parents out there, because they ask me all the time, my husband says that all of this is just about little kids. When we look at floor time, it's describing the baby. The baby at this month age does this. Then at 12 months, they do this. Then at this, they do this, describing the FEDCs. My kid's not a baby. How do I do floor time with my kid? So they're thinking right now, please, Dr. Tippy, how do you do peekaboo with an older child or an adult? Well, well look, we're all playing peekaboo all the time, right? Um, it's the, it's the hunter gatherer, um, early, um, history of the human race that we're, we're playing with, right? We want to discover something that has maybe coming or has disappeared. The, the first hallmark of being human was when we figured out that if you follow the footprints for a prey animal, it's likely to be, it's likely to lead you to the prey animal. Um, and that's, you know, where we began migrating as a, as a group. So, uh, and very early, hundreds of thousands of years ago. So peekaboo is ingrained in us. So when you're a little baby, you know, and the parents love to do the, you know, suddenly peekaboo, it makes perfect sense for us, right? Even the toy manufacturers now make peekaboo toys, which I find kind of reprehensible. But um, when a human being's doing it, I like it. But later on, if you're, you know, if you're playing, if you're a poker player in one of the legal gambling places, 
and you're sitting at the table and you're playing um, Texas Hold'em, when they have the river card out and they flip the river card, you know, and it changes your hand, that's peekable, right? That's, that's oh, I can't wait to see what's about to happen and how will it affect my future and what's going to And then it happens. Or if you're... Um, if you're someone who's addicted to Facebook or Instagram or uh, uh, any of the other, you know, TikTok, what you're doing when you put up a video on TikTok is you are waiting to see how many people are going to like it and, and you know, um, admire your work. And you're constantly looking for the changes and how many, how many likes am I going to get? And that's peekable. You know, if you if you like to shop and you find that you use that for your recreation, right? You go into a place where there's lots of different shops. I would have said mall, but I don't think malls are so prevalent anymore. Um, they're falling out of favor. But if you go online and you like to do that kind of shopping, what you're doing is you're searching and hoping you're going to see something that's going to give you that tool. And that's peekaboo too. So there's a million different ways to play peekaboo. Um, just as one example of games with somebody who is an older person. And we find it endlessly entertaining. How would you make peekaboo interactive? Because shopping online could be solitary. Um, you know, poker game could be, well, maybe that's more interactive, but how would you do that with a an older child. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not using those as examples of the how you would do it with somebody in floor time. You obviously want to be part of it, right? But um, that those are examples of the fact that adults are still doing peekaboo constantly. So how would you do it? So I, there are many different ways. Let's just let's just problem solve here between the two of us. So if you were going to play a card game with a child who you were doing therapy with. Um, you could uh, do a very simple kind of a peekaboo card game. So there's a, I don't know what they call it in every culture, but there's a game in, uh, from where I live called War, where you just divide a pack of cards in half and people are flipping them over and whoever has the higher card on the flip gets to keep the cards. So it takes no strategy. It's basically the luck of how your cards are, and you can do that back and forth. And that's a very engaging game. Um, there's, then there are games uh, that go up in cards. So then you could play um, something called Go Fish. So Go Fish is the next level of sophistication in, in a card game with a child. So they have to begin to think what is the person across the table from me attempting to get out of my hand? And what, and I know what I have, and what might they have in their hand based on what they've asked me? And that becomes, you know, 10 levels more sophisticated. But again, it's just peekaboo, right? I say, you know, do you have any fives? And you give me one, it's like, yeah, you know, that's what I want. So that's peekaboo. So then you could go to a more sophisticated card game. So you could teach a kid to play hearts. And in hearts, they have to begin to figure out what are you attempting to do in the entire game, 
not just on a turn-by-turn basis. And they have to try to figure out what your strategy is and try to defeat it. And then there's, you know, there are a million different ways to do that. People do play Uno with kids all the time. And Uno is a game that um, requires you to have a certain level of sophistication and strategy, but it is also, again, just a peak of the game. And then you could go to contract bridge if you wanted to, where, you know, you have to begin working with a partner and thinking about that, which is very sophisticated in terms of where you are developmentally. And all of that is just a deck of cards. And it depends on what you're thinking about in terms of sophistication, where the, where the person with whom you're playing is developmentally, where you're hoping to be able to push them, how are you going to engage them? And those were all just, you know, uh, medieval invention, the deck of cards that um, isn't entirely just peekaboo. And so you could do that with a million different things, right? You could do with, with orienteering. So if you have a kid who's visually, spatially got some challenges and you have a dad who wants to engage with his child on the weekends, you guys could orienteer or you could echo uh, geocache. So I don't know if you know what geocaching is, but people hide things in public in pretty sophisticated hiding places. Is this and like that then, Pokemon Pokemon game that everybody like, was playing? Uh, no, Pokemon, that Pokemon game is stupidity personified because okay. I don't really what know people were doing with, so the Pokemon game was you wander aimlessly until you bump into a Pokemon. Oh, okay. Which is not at all. That's the that's the least sophisticated thing to be doing. And kids were getting hit by cars because they were so focused on the screen. What geocaching is is so, you know, I tell dads, okay, so you get a geocaching app on your phone, and then you check, and you, you see, oh, there's actually one of these hidden things um, in the park near our house. Let's try to follow the directions on this orienteer. It's like a um, a map with a uh, directional compass and you figure out where this thing is and you begin to search logically for it. So if your kid has visual spatial challenges, has trouble um, navigating, uh, doesn't know where they are in space um, and you want to spend time with them outdoors, go geocache. Or um, if your kid has visual spatial challenges and um, doesn't know what's going on, I've suggested this in schools where I've supervised so in schools where I've supervised, for instance, in New York City, um, a class wants to go on a visit to um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, a giant building. So you don't just take a kid to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You just don't dump them in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, walk them around the museum, show them, you know, you know this mummy, uh, you know, this statue. What you do is... A month, two months ahead of time, you get a map of the museum. And then the class becomes, try to take this two-dimensional thing, turn it into a three-dimensional notion in the building. And the class votes on, you know, what they want to see, and what they like in the building. And then you map out a logical way to do it. And then the kids, when they get to the museum, after two months of planning, like tons of planning, lots of class time, they have flat maps in front of them. And they're standing within the space. And all of that <coughs> is hunting and gathering. It's just uh, peekaboo. But it's peekaboo to support being able to figure out where you are in space, in three-dimensional space, which you know we know is important for our kids and our adults. So it, it's very easy 
very, very easy to think of a billion different circumstances where you can use something as simple as a little peekaboo, uh, the basic peekaboo instinct in human beings at all different levels of sophistication. And by the way, in the example I gave you about the museum, there'll be kids in the class who will say, I want to go see the Temple of Dendor, Dendor which is in the Museum of uh, the American, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, because I really like uh, ancient Egypt and I want to see it. And there'll be kids in the class who will just say, flowers. That'll be all they'll say. And there'll be some kids who will only um, look up briefly at you when you mention something and you have to be a good teacher and say, oh, I see, you actually want to see this. Well, we'll include that on the list. And so, all levels of language, all levels of supposed intellectual ability. You know that I'm not a believer in um, IQ. I'm just not a believer. I think it's so pernicious. I think it's such a horrible thing we do to kids. So, um, but different levels of communication. And um, those, all those will be represented in your planning for an event like that. So it's actually, not so difficult. I think uh, differentiated education in a group setting is actually easier than people make it, but you have to have a developmental perspective, not a behavioral perspective in, able to, in order to be able to pull that off. And uh, listeners or viewers, we talked about that in our last podcast together on good education. So I will put a link to that podcast in the write-up for today. So I thought of two examples when you were speaking there. When we brought our son to Disney World for the first time, dad instinctually showed him the map. And by the time we were gone, you know, five days later, my son loved to find the map and figure out where everything was. And he knew which ride he wanted to go on. And dad would sort of guide him like, oh, well, that's way over here. Do you want to go way over there first? Or should we go to this one first and then this one? And sort of helped him navigate it. And since we came back from Disney World a year and a half ago or whatever, anytime we go anywhere that there's a map, I, I don't even notice it in my son. Like, like I brought him into a shopping mall during COVID. Um, he, I, we were talking about ice cream or something. And I knew there was a Laura Secord shop in this mall. And I knew that the mall had just opened up. I think it was last summer or something. And I knew we could go straight to the mall to the ice cream shop with our mask on and straight out and leave. It wasn't like putting us too much at risk. And what I didn't even notice when we walked in the mall, but there he went right to the map and he wanted to see, actually there was a Christmas tree up. So it must've been closer to Christmas. Um, there was a big map there and he was just drawn to it. So that's the one thing I thought about. The other thing um, I thought about is that my son's latest obsession is Mario Kart. Everything Mario Kart, his number one interest, that's all he talks about when we're going to sleep. He's talking a mile a minute for like at least an hour. Mama, who's your favorite character? Oh, he, I like to go in the whatever 
dolphin shores and shoals and do this and then we jump on this trampoline and then we go here and then i'm gonna get the super item and then i'm gonna take this and i'm gonna go here and he like goes on and on like chatterbox chatterbox 50 hours a minute like super excited and all upregulated and he'll talk for hours and then all day at school he's talking about mario kart he's calling his friends mario kart character names everything mario kart so they have these little hot wheels cars that have mario kart characters so our latest thing, which is breaking the bank, is that once a week or once every other week, we go to a store and see which Hot Wheels cars are there. So that's, to me, an example of where I could really leverage that experience to make it more of a, instead of just walking in, like I, I do say, hmm, I wonder where the toys are. Because sometimes we'll go to a different Walmart Supercenter than the smaller Walmart in our town or, uh, Chapters Indigo Bookstore, we went to the other day and he hadn't been there in years, he probably never remembered. We had to figure out where the toy section was and just watching him like look around and then, you know, the excitement in his face when he finally noticed there's where they are. Um, I could leverage that into a, a form of peekaboo. Yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the same thing with the grocery store. I, I always, um, suggest to moms or dads who have to get some chores done that it's really a great opportunity and while it's slower it certainly isn't as efficient you know to go in the grocery store with a list of items for someone who is not used to actually having to find their way who are used to being prompted through a grocery store it's like, okay, well, let's go over to where the ketchup is. You know, they're used to hearing from another person how to go do things. In order to be able to walk through a grocery store with a list and figure out where things are, it takes a lot. And um, you have to begin to think of yourself in three-dimensional space. And then you have to begin to think of how other human beings no longer in front of you were thinking. So what I mean by that is you have to be able to begin to think how a designer of a supermarket thinks or thought at the beginning. And that is what a European might call theory of mind, right? Where you can begin to think how another human being had a mind or has a mind. And that's a really important skill. And in terms of grocery stores, in terms of what we're talking about here with peekaboo theme um in a grocery store there is a logical layout it was actually thought of by human beings in order to be able to push consumers to buy more stuff but also to make sure that the groceries in your cart um don't the the fragile stuff doesn't get crushed and the cold stuff stays cold and there is a logical layout things are grouped in a very Piagetian sort of way by their, by what they are and how they function. And so, you know, so lately I've noticed that in my grocery store, they've put the peanut butter next to the bread. It's not even categorical, right? Because peanut butters would go with other sp spreads in jars in a grocery store. But because they imagine that you're almost always going to pair peanut butter with bread, that now the peanut butter is with the bread. So it is somebody's thinking. And when you hand somebody a list and say, you know, go get these things, 
and they say, you know, I don't know where the peanut butter is. You just shrug your shoulders like, I don't know. What do you think? And that's a floor time thing. And that's a hunter and gatherer thing. And that's somebody's general interest because they actually want to be able to eat at the end of it. And so they need to get the ingredients. That Red should iron. be that should be your next four on the floor video. You should do another one about in a supermarket. Yes. Well, I did one with maps. I actually That's did true. one with maps. Yes, you did. But uh, the supermarket is super easy. I mean, uh, I think parents and persons who are working with people on the spectrum right now. I do a lot of supervising people around the country more and more states have decided that adults with autism or other developmental challenges need to have control of their own money. And they, they get money for support from the states called different things, but self-directed money. And they hire individuals to work with them. And uh, I do a lot of support of those individuals who have been hired to work with people who have spectrum uh, challenges. And all I'm doing is helping them to understand how this consumer, this client wants to get food to cook for dinner. And here's how you turn that into good developmental work, good support, or this consumer wants to learn how to use the bus system. And uh, I think I called this in respecting autism. Dr. Greenspan and I uh, had an argument, the only one. And the argument we had was about uh, how do you do these um, traditional things that are done with people with developmental challenges in order to get them to a place where they can function in the world more independently. And the way they were being done at the time and the way I think they're still being done mostly is people are uh, trained in certain things, how to deliver paper towels to a classroom or how to uh, ride the buses in a particular way. They're trained. You stand here, you give this guy this money. Um, the problem is that that didn't, lead to developmental growth. What it led to was, you know, relying on somebody's good memory. But when the buses go down or in New York City, when the subways um, face their inevitable uh, changes, uh, that left the person with nowhere to go. So what we, what I think what Dr. Green, I think it was Dr. Greenspan's suggestion, it's a long time ago now, um, he called it uh, taking floor time to the larger ecological context. And so learning how to do the buses, but not learning how to do them by memory, but learning how to logically uh, attack a public transportation situation is floor time. It is moving somebody up developmentally. So that's what I do now is I'm helping people to continue to move up developmentally, which is a big interest of mine even after their their secondary education is finished. So what was your what was your fight? Well um, I said that this was in the context of the Rebecca school. I said that I would not train somebody 
to uh, walk from class to class with a list in its hand or her hand or their hand and a support person to walk into the classroom and say, you know, here's the list of things that you could order. And the teacher would then check off paper towels and, you know, hand sanitizer, um, which was what was going on at other places. And then the, then the person would go down in the basement and fill that order and then bring the card up and push it around. Um, and I said, I won't build a fake mail room so that somebody has to sort mail. Um, I just won't do it. And uh, we had an argument about the necessity for it. And it went on for quite a while. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know, you don't generally argue with the person who you see as a creator of the field, but I just wasn't going to participate in that. And so what we came up with, and what Dr. Greenspan said, finally said, okay, would you be willing to do it if we called it taking floor time to the larger ecological context? And then that is what we ended up developing. And I think the last chapter of uh, Respecting Autism actually talks about the development of that concept and, and how it played out in one, in one um, young adult's program. I mean, right off the bat, I'll just say, I've experienced this myself as I think most neurotypical people have and the debate is still out if I'm neurotypical or not. <laughs> I think I am, as far as I <laughs> know too. I am. As far as I know I am, but I certainly have a lot of traits that overlap with ADHD and autism. I've learned the more I hear from self-advocates, the more I talk to Mike Fields, who is ADHD, and we did a podcast about it with Maude LaRue. So when I go to the grocery store, it takes me forever, <laughs> according to my husband. He goes in there like I was just doing it because I'm the one that drives. He grew up in Toronto. He never needed to drive. We moved out to the suburbs. We don't have two cars anyway. There's no need. So he still doesn't drive. So I might as well just go get it. He stays with our son or our son is at school. Well, for whatever reason, we figured out a way where I dropped him off during COVID. He did grocery shopping while I picked up our son, came back and picked him up. He did it in like 10 minutes what takes me like an hour or something. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, why are, why am I grocery shopping at all when you do it so much more quickly? And we've known from other examples, just in the 15 years we've been together, like he, in his mind, his mind really maps things out. He should have been an engineer. You should see the tracks he made for our son when <laughs> our son was younger. Like, these elaborate, crazy like train tracks that go across the whole room. Then they had those hex bugs. He made it go all the way up the bunk bed and around and like these great engineering feats. And I don't know if that comes from his years of doing Warhammer video. You know, now he's doing Warhammer online. He's the coach for Team Canada of Warhammer, my husband. Um, <laughs> he's like builds these things and these structures like he could have been an architect. So it's just the way his mind works. For me, it's much more challenging. It's like so tedious for me to figure out like he'll say, get this international sauce for the stir fry. And I'll be like, oh, no, I don't want to. I have no idea where it is. And the effort that it takes for me to look in every aisle till I find it, like, it, it's really hard for me. I don't know why. But anyway, secondly, I think about going to Europe for the first time and trying to figure out the subway system in Paris. 
Now that kind of thing I loved doing and I could figure things out like quickly like this, like figure out where to go and everything. But that's something that's really new for people that grow up in North America who usually are in cars, at, at least if you're, you know, middle class or upper class, you're driving everywhere. You're not always taking transportation, especially if you're not in a big city. Um, those that grow up in Toronto are used to taking the bus system and subway, but especially going to Europe and you, you have to navigate yourself. So, I mean, this is just applying everyday skills that anybody could benefit from, but really instilling those kinds of skills in our children, especially kids that went to Rebecca school who are navigating New York City transit, that, that's a pretty, pretty um, important thing to learn about. So having to figure it out rather than just being told, like, it's much easier for me to go to the grocery store worker and say, excuse me, can you tell me where to find the international sauce, which is what I usually do. And they say aisle 16, I'm like, thank you. And I go there. Like, I don't even look. I just ask before I go in to whoever's standing there. So I don't have yeah. to go look at, at Home Depot or Canadian Tire or hardware stores. Like, I, I can't be bothered going and looking in every row to find it. So you're saying instead of just asking that person, excuse me, what aisle is it in? Let's practice the process of thinking and figuring stuff out. Yeah, well, that's a different thing, right? So asking somebody and knowing whom you might ask is a very useful skill. I don't mean to diminish that at all. I mean, I want to be able to trust that when my child is lost, they're going to ask somebody who clearly could offer them support and not and would be vetted by the society as being useful. Um, well, well, also wives across North America traditionally want their husbands to ask for directions instead of getting lost all the time, right? Isn't that a common joke that men will well, never ask is, for that directions? Is a common joke. <laughs> well, but that of course never happens anymore now that we have uh, all these yeah. uh, sophisticated electronics. That's that's a lost art asking for directions. But um, I want to tell you a secret. The supermarket is laid out by another human being who had a logical intent in mind. And in fact, it's probably one of the most logically laid out places in the society, since there's such intense competition on the shelves for sale, for sales. So if you sat and thought <laughs> when you entered the supermarket, you might say, well, that would logically be here. And then you might be able to find it. So you're doing exactly, I think, what um, I'm suggesting as a, as a strategy for kids in the supermarket. And I'm not saying that developmentally you have any challenges. What I'm saying is, um, well, maybe, maybe uh, you know, your strength is not um, a particular kind of being oriented in the world and and your husband's strength is that strength you know so everybody's got different good strengths, luck right? good luck me trying to find the such and such roller coaster that he says you know my husband doesn't want to wait he's like we're going to this roller coaster just meet us there when i go into the shop i'm like no don't leave me i'll never be able to find you <laughs> well the map skill is something that's really uh, gone away since you know we have um, uh technological navigating I, I, I learned early on, I moved from the place where I had lived all my life, which was the eastern 
coast of the United States in the Northeast. And then I moved to the Western coast of the United States after the invention of all this technology. And it is clear to me, I don't know my way around here anywhere near as well as I knew my way around there because I grew up before all of that technology and I had to think about where I was in space. So there's, there's no question that the technologies do uh, are at least partially responsible for a lot of the challenges that people have. So for instance, I thought I was working, I recently was working with a young adult who um, uh, is on the autism spectrum, has autism, and she went all the way through college and did very well in college, but she could not possibly imagine herself leaving her house and getting a job. It was impossible for her. And so we just started with simple things like you really want a slice of pizza. So get in the car and drive to the pizza place, but you're not allowed to take any right turns. You have to only take left turns to get to the pizza place. And so see if you can do that. Um, and part of that was I was trying to get her to overcome the, uh, the fear of, of merging into traffic when you turn left at a busy intersection, which is harder than turning right into the intersection. But also it was, you have to begin to think about the space and where you are. And um, so she went from being a person, and she also did the shopping thing, by the way. Um, she also started doing shopping for her family. Now here was a 21 year old, started to do the shopping for her family. And um, she had no experience in a supermarket. So she went from being somebody who wouldn't leave the house and was really challenged. Uh, she now has a really super cool, um, very competitive employment job where she has been promoted tremendously. And it is actually a job that I think most people would fight for. <clears throat> very cool job. And all of it was just floor time with an older person, and it was all taking floor time to the larger ecological uh, context. But she did it all herself, of course, I mean, with my support, but it was, here's how I begin to be able to think more um, abstractly, here's how I begin to be able to think more symbolically. The skills that I learned that were academic skills, which were really just on memorizes and then dumped it, got her perfectly good grades, but it wasn't what she needed to function in the real world. And so when she graduated from college, she was entirely stuck and stuck on her couch and wasn't able to even imagine it. So she got this really cool competitive job that I would want, very much want. And um, and she also is uh, has saved enough money now. And she's beginning to look at apartments and she's going to move out of her family home in an apartment. And, um, you know, she's looking into, um, dating and doing all of the things that we want our kids to do. So here's a kid who was going to have a very challenged existence, who's now stepping out into the world in a, in a much more flexible way. And all we did was floor time, but we did the kind of floor time you do with adults. We didn't do the floor time that you do with little kids on the floor with a, with a bunch of toys. It's amazing. And just to, to end the podcast, I wanted to just bring it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, where you might be trying to get engagement with someone by coming at it at a higher level. I I had a funny example and then uh, a couple of other questions slash examples. So we would go, you know, before COVID to model train shows constantly every weekend for like five, six years. 
and we always saw this family and and i knew that the son was autistic but uh we never knew them and then after about two years of seeing them everywhere finally somehow we started talking and then we would you know keep in touch over email i would say oh are you guys going to this train show yeah okay see you there and so we're at this train show that was two or three hours out of town we were there for the weekend because it was a big christmas train show that was saturday sunday and then there was also a train set up at the mall and then there was also a model train club that had open house after the show like after dinner time so i'm there talking to the caregiver and i said and and the boy is standing right beside her i've never heard this kid speak he's about a year and a half older than my son and I didn't know a lot about them in particular. We're just kind of socially acquaintances. So I said, oh, by the way, just so you know, when the train show ends, we're going to get burgers at this cool burger joint that we found. Then we're going to the mall because they have a Christmas train display. Then we're going to the model train club open house if you guys want to join us. And the little boy turns to me and he's never made eye contact with me. Nothing, no engagement at all. Turns to me, looks me in the eye and says, where's where's the train where's the christmas train that you said and i was like he talks <laughs> so that really reminded me of something you said like all of a sudden he's interested and i get this back and forth with him <laughs> when i wasn't you know my instinct would be and even with my son who might get dysregulated my instinct might be first to do what you do with the younger children who were working on the foundational capacities oh yeah, I can see you're frustrated. Oh, you know, and just sort of sit there and do that regulation. And you still could do that too. Um, but a lot of times you could, and, and you can let me know, is this coming in at a higher level or is this distraction? Because if I suddenly say something about Mario Kart, boom, he's his dysregulation's completely finished. And he's like, I want to do this level and I want to get this character and blah, 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 blah. And then he's back into the back and forth snaps out of regulation just like that without the whole drama of the co-regulation and the calming yeah um relationships are regulating and someone paying attention to your interests is regulating it's really lovely to for someone to say i'm interested and that's instantly regulating it means i care about you it means i'm listening to you means you and I actually have a relationship. I'm not here purely for my own uh, interests. I'm here also listening to your interests. And I do think, you know, it's something that said quite a bit in the DIR world that relationships are regulating, but you can't forget that, that you don't have to always regulate somebody sensorily. Um, you can regulate them by hooking them and following their lead, which means to take a real interest in their interests. So yeah, I agree 100%. I don't think that's distraction. I think that's, um, I think that's love. I think that's interest. I think that's a real relationship. Well, I'll end off with one more example. Since the lockdowns ended and my son's been going back to school, he was having a hard time separating from me, which hasn't happened in, you know, five years. So starts to go in, and usually the parents would walk in with the children and then get settled and then we'd leave. But now we can't go in the school. So we're dropping off at the doorway and he might say hi, get his fever and they give him hand sanitizer and then he goes, ah, turns around and runs and clings to me. 
And some days it was 15 minutes and them standing with the white door wide open and it's freezing out and all the kids like, you go first, you go first, you go first. He watches them all go in and he's still not ready. Now, um, after the lockdown, you know, different shift in cohorts to make sure everybody's safe and he has a new therapist in the morning. And what she does is she holds up a card as he approaches the door and she's somehow printed off all like little Mario characters. It's all the different characters and it's laminated and she holds up the card. And so right away, he walks right in and he, they talk about what Mario Kart characters they're going to draw on the board because they're working on his fine motor drawing and stuff. And just that simple step now has eliminated five to 15 minutes of needing to co-regulate and reassuring and, you know, trying to distract and whatever to get him in that door. It's just holding up the Mario Kart characters and, you know, what are we going to do next? And he's so excited about going to that next activity right in. I think, I think it's um, skillful to know who you're working with and what their interests are. And I can't, you know, I know that that therapist will eventually want to not have to have that card and will want to, through the power of their being and their relationship and their caring, show up. And then your son will say, oh, I get it. Here is somebody who I care about and who cares about me and who actually knows me. And uh, then he'll separate on his own. And the Mario Karts won't always be, won't always be necessary. Well, that's a good next step to aim for. I'm glad you brought that up because they didn't know each other and now they do. They've formed that relationship right. in the last few right. weeks. So that that could be a next step. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Tibby. This was really interesting. And I think uh, I definitely learned a bunch about um, stuff that I had, hadn't thought about in that way before. So I hope that parents, practitioners uh, got something from today. Check out the blog right up at affectautism.com. And um, I'll put links to some of the past podcasts we referred to and some of the links to different things that you said, such as some of those card games that people might want to look up. I'll try and find a link to them so they can look up how to do them. <laughs> well, so as I, always, you know, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And as always, thank you to you as well. And thank you for all that you do. This is a really important place where people can hear a lot of great uh, discussions about important issues in development. And um, so I deeply appreciate all that you do too. So thank you for inviting me and I look forward to talking again soon. Me too. Thanks so much. Get 15% off any DIR 101 course and introduction to DIR and DIR floor time through ICDL.com by using the promo code Affect A15. That's A F F E C T A 1 5. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.